unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. It is great to have March Madness back, and we're going to break it down for you. Joining me to do that from CBS and ESPN, basketball analyst Mike O'Donnell, also a former UCF Knight. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us to talk about the magic of March in just a few moments. Well, Drew Brees hangs it up officially, as most had speculated after 20 years in the National Football League and becoming a a vital part of the city of New Orleans and leading them to a Super Bowl championship and uh, record holder. (laughs) He won't uh, hold them all because uh, Tom Brady will continue to play, but uh, Drew Brees up there with TD passes, most yards, completions, all that good stuff. But uh, certainly a uh, tremendous National Football League quarterback and now joining the broadcast ranks of NBC Sports. It'll be interesting to see where NBC slates him. Is he Chris Collinsworth, heir apparent? Will he start in the studio? Still questions to be answered. And with the retirement of Breeze, the NFL free agent frenzy is underway. So the free agency period has started and... You'll hear names and big money going to players over the next several days. The Saints probably going to go with Taysom Hill at quarterback, it looks like, unless they make a free agent splash. Jameis Winston looking probably to be elsewhere since he did not get to be the quarterback when Drew Brees went down with injury last season. But always a fun hot stove time of year as far as the NFL goes when the free agency period begins. And rest in peace to marvelous Marvin Hagler. Passed away unexpectedly over the weekend at the age of 66. Arguably the greatest middleweight of all time. Uh, defended his title for a long stretch of time uh, during the 1980s. And boy, what a what a great series of boxing that was with Hagler, Hearn, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. You know, Hagler lost his last fight to Sugar Ray. Many, many people still say he won that fight. It was a split decision. And the Hearns-Hagler fight, although it only lasted three rounds, probably had more action <laughs> than three fights combined. The first round was unbelievable. Those two exchanged blows after blows after blows. It was unbelievable. Hearns broke his hand. And Hagler won the fight in one of the... He might have been a short fight, but it was a great fight. And again, we say rest in peace to Marvin Hagler. He simply was marvelous. Yes, March Madness is back, and we are ready to break it down. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show... From ESPN and CBS Sports and a former UCF Knight, Mike O'Donnell is here on the program. Mike, it is a privilege to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Best time of the year. Yes, it is. No question about it. And uh, it's finally here, too, because we're finally staring at the finish line. We lost the tournament a year ago. We're going to have the quasi-bubble in Indy. Um, Can you reflect on what it's taken to get here? Oh, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> I don't think uh, most people realize, um, you know, uh, 
there are plenty of schools that could afford doing daily and weekly testing. And there were a lot of schools that had to cut budgets um, uh, just to just to do weekly testing, not just for college basketball, but for every sport. And the way that administrators and coaches and staff and then most importantly players have been able to handle this is nothing short of a heroic feat. And, you know, there are some absolutely insane stories out there of, you know, players just having to be in isolation for 14 days for getting contact traced. Um, you know, you, athletic trainers have would have to watch film of every single practice uh, to make sure that certain players weren't close to other players because of contact tracing rules. I mean, it was complete and uh, craziness. And um, uh, the fact that, that that everybody was able to pull this off is is just. It's remarkable, and um, sports has kind of, quite honestly, paved the way from a data, data and analytical standpoint on how to operate in a society uh, better uh, than just about any other organization uh, in the country to kind of show us how we can move forward. So it's been, uh, you know, nobody is going to sit here and say it was easy. Uh, nobody would even say, well, it's just hard. Uh, it has been almost impossible every day because stuff would, wouldn't change daily. It wouldn't even change hourly. It would change by the minute. Um, and uh, just, you know, you give all the credit in the world to the coaches and the players and the administrative staff. It's, it was, uh, <laughs> we're going to be reading about this in textbooks, Jeff, for, uh, <laughs> for a very long time, man. Yeah, and I tell you what, you know, and you and the key word is adjusting because, you know, the postponements, cancellations, and you as a broadcaster, you know, basketball announcer has been calling games from home. And I can only imagine, you know, what that challenge is because you think of football and baseball, those guys are up in a booth. Basketball announcers are actually right there where the action is on the floor. So that's got to be a tough perspective to lose when calling a game. Oh, there's no question. Um, I got pretty lucky, though, Jeff, in that I didn't have to call any games from home. Now, I didn't. Uh, the only games that I called this season on site were a few uh, UCF games because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have to travel. Um, uh, but uh, for all the CBS sports games that I did, uh, I called all the games out of a studio in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. So I would have to do two. I would have to get two negative COVID tests during the week. And then once I got the two negative test results back, I would drive down to Fort Lauderdale and call a game out of a, um, a, 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 a CBS studio in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, it was me and play by, the play-by-play. And we were watching the game on a four, uh, 42-inch screen TV. You know, and uh, there were certainly, you know, just so many technical difficulties, but um, honestly, Jeff, uh, you know, my worries and woes and, and frustrations, uh, I don't even think it's appropriate to compare them to what the athletes, coaches, and administrators had to go through. But you're right. Uh, you lose any sense of, you know, kind of feel for the atmosphere. But more importantly for me, one of the things that um, you know, I, I, I have to 
try to be different and better than everybody else just because I don't have a big brand. <laughs> so under normal circumstances, you know, I would, if there was, if I had a game on Saturday, I would fly to that location on Friday, would try to catch both teams' practices Friday night, and then both teams' shoot-arounds on Saturday before the game. And during that time, you're, you know, I, you're, I do more than just watching. Like, I want to talk to the managers and the athletic trainers and the strength coaches is can I find a story uh, or stories about a player or an event or a coach that is um, uh, that you just can't you know get in the media guide or the game notes, and that's 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 the kind of things you know I try to be a great storyteller in the game, and and it was it's it was hard those those were hard to come by um, this season that's for sure, but I um yeah, I have a lot of hope that um, uh, we'll be. Maybe not a hundred percent back to normal, but pretty pretty close uh, come uh, the next basketball season. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. Uh, uh, on my show, I have on Eric Lopez and Adam Eaton from a couple of other other podcasts, and we do a college. You know, we did a college basketball announcers breakdown. And when, when your name came up, obviously we're biased because we're all UCF guys, so you already have favor with us. But the one thing we, <laughs> but the one thing we all shared in common was the fact that uh, you know we appreciate guys that put the work in, and what you just described, you know, typifies that. And uh, you know, every time you're on a broadcast, we know you're going to be as well informed as possible on both teams and whatnot. So uh, you know, I I kind of think you bring that basketball gym rat mentality to the announcer side. Is that is that a fair assessment? I, I, I hope so. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you so much. Um, uh, it's really, I mean, really, Jeff, you know, you, when you're watching a game, you can tell who's prepared, who's not prepared. I choose to be prepared because it's also not really work. You know, I'm just, I'm reading, analyzing, and watching basketball. You know, I get paid to do it. Like, give me a break. That's incredible. <laughs> That's the easiest job in the world, right? Yeah. Um, and so I yeah, take take great pride in that. And it's also really fun. It's just not, uh, it, it, I the amount of hours I put in to prepare for a game, it's a lot. It's a ton of work. But I'm not... You know, there's never a time where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to prepare for this game. It's, you know, I get to do this. You know, I I chose this path. Uh, I'm still going on the path, and I get the opportunity to do that. So why the heck wouldn't I try to be just so great, for be a great storyteller for the players? Because I remember that. You know, I, I remember I used to record the games on a VCR. You know, I know my mom would. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. And you go back and you listen and you and, and you watch and and you know if you know an analyst uh, was a, you know told a story about you about like at a camp or at high school or something you do off the court that you didn't know that they knew it was the coolest thing in the world because your friends are hearing that your families are hearing that you're hearing that and I think I've just kind of fallen in love with the storytelling aspect of it. And uh, I just try to do. I just try to do right by the players um, because uh, I remember that feeling, and it's. Uh, I, I hope I. I hope I. I'm able to give back to the players in that way. Well, as we embark on this year's tournament, you know, one of the things I I've noticed uh, in all the. Uh, the bracket breakdown shows there's not a lot of consternation about who didn't get in this year. 
Um, I, I guess one probably would be the aspect that the sample size is smaller. And I also might think from another angle, too, I think maybe the fact that we're having a tournament this year, everybody's just so happy about that, that uh, it would seem kind of petty to, to, to argue those points. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I would tend to uh, I would tend to agree with that. We've had we've had tournaments in the past where there hasn't been too much scrutiny. Um, a lot of times, it's just you know you had uh, uh, teams. I think the one team that had a big enough gripe about not getting in was Colorado State of the Mountain West. I thought that was a team that could have been a cinderella sweet 16 team i personally thought they should have done enough but um uh what really hurt them actually is georgia tech going georgia tech and georgetown going on a ridiculous run in their respective tournaments that was totally unexpected yeah um and 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 that happens And, and 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 fans and coaches and players can 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 get frustrated about that and they rightfully should because the goal of every team every year is to make the NCAA tournament when you don't make it it's heartbreaking um, but there's always something that could have been done, and what could have been done is you should you could have won more games. Um, you know, winning takes care of so many things. So you're right in the sense that this season, I think there's really only one team that had a legitimate gripe about the NCAA tournament, and that would be Colorado State. I, I think I probably would have put them in over Drake um, or even Michigan State, um, given their resume. But um, but that would be really the only team I, I would say. I'll, you know, Jeff, to be honest with you, I think the biggest travesty in college basketball right now is Belmont is at the second best record in the country, and they didn't even get invited to the NIT. Ooh. And to me, that's just a total and complete oversight disaster. Um, uh, uh, embarrassing of the NIT committee not to put Belmont in. Um, it was, uh, you know, when you win over 25 games and you don't make the NIT, there's something wrong there. I think there was, there, there may have been a little, I, I don't know what happened, uh, why they didn't get picked, but um, I, I, I feel for Belmont as they were one of the best, um, I mean, record-wise, they were one of the best teams in the country. Didn't get invited to the NIT. Yeah, that's a, that is a travesty for sure. Well, so because we lost the tournament last year, I guess it's this year is going to be worth the wait. A lot of interesting storylines. You brought up one of them already. Georgetown, back in the NCAA tournament, led by Patrick Ewing. And they get in, what is it, 49 years to the day, John Thompson had signed to be the head coach at Georgetown back in 1972. And uh, the Hoyas got on a run in the Big East tournament, and Patrick Ewing's got his boys uh, going there. How, how about that story? Uh, pretty wild, you know, because uh, I hate talking about coaches that are on the hot seat, but he was on the hot seat coming in the season. Uh, I think, you know, Georgetown, uh, there are plenty of people who felt that Georgetown has been underperforming the last few years under Patrick Ewing. And uh, you get, it, it happens every year, Jeff, and it's always great. That's the beauty of college basketball. That's what makes it so much better in college football. That everybody's got a chance to compete in the, on the biggest stage. There at least is a path for every single team. And uh, Georgetown got hot at the right time. They also changed the way that they were playing. Really about the last, I would say, six games of the regular season, they kind of changed the way they were playing. Uh, they play a brand of basketball that very few teams are playing right now. It is old school, Jeff, old school basketball. It is, you've got a traditional post player. They don't shoot a lot of threes. 
they'll shoot mid-range jumpers and contested floaters. Uh, they are incredibly physical in the half court. It's man-to-man. It's bully, body you. You know, win the win the rebounding battle. There is nothing fluid or rhythmic about Georgetown, but they are just they're physically imposing. They play in a very aggressive style man-to-man defense. And they're so old school, they just pounded inside and pounded inside and crashed the glass. And it's exhausting to play against that. And, and teams just weren't used to that. And, and they're, all their guards are great rebounding guards. And they're just physically wearing down opposing teams' perimeter players. They, they're winning ugly. Um, but, you know, as far as Patrick Ewing is concerned, an ugly win is a lot better than a pretty loss. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Georgetown's a 12 seed. They face Colorado. I think Pac-12 is is the most overrated college basketball conference in the country. And I think uh, uh, Colorado, uh, I'm, I'm, I think Colorado getting a five seed was way too high. I like Georgetown advancing past Colorado and getting a win into the second round of the tournament. Mm, okay, there you go. You heard it here first. Uh um, Gonzaga goes in as the number one overall seed. They go in undefeated. Uh, and, and so kind of give me your take on this because, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, you know, maybe you want to get that loss out of the way before you get in, into the March Madness. And of course, I, I guarantee you players, you know, go out there. They want to win every game they play. And especially now when you get this far, you definitely want to win every game you play. What kind of pressure is on Gonzaga going in with an unblemished record? You know, I, I think there are a lot of uh, fun media um, topics to talk about that. I think that will be talked about a lot throughout the course of this week, whether it's on ESPN or CBS Sports or Fox Sports. Um, but Mark Few is not the kind of coach to get caught up in some of that hype and really even acknowledge it. Gonzaga hasn't played. It hasn't played like they're trying to go undefeated all season. They have played like the best, just the best team in the country. Now, some people will say that they benefit from playing in a mid-major conference, which I understand that, and there's some truth to that. But you could have also easily slipped up. I mean, uh, against BYU or St. Mary's, and BYU's they're a tournament team, and they and they took Gonzaga to the wire. But I think, you know, it's not like they haven't been tested. You know, for crying out loud, uh, they beat an Iowa team, an Iowa team who a lot of people think could make it to the Final Four. I think uh, um, uh, Iowa is the fifth or sixth best team in the country. And there was at one point they were beating Iowa by 26 points in the regular season and just demolishing the Hawkeyes, who have the second-best offense in the country behind Gonzaga. So... Uh, it's, it certainly isn't like they haven't been tested. Um, they're so deep. The other thing that I think gets lost in all of this is people will say, hey, look, Gonzaga plays in the West Coast Conference. It's not, it's not even as good as, you know, uh, the Mountain West or the Atlantic 10. And I agree with that. It's, it, that. That conference is not as good as the Mountain West or the Atlantic 10. But I would also argue in the fact that wouldn't you love – a team that has four first-round draft picks on your team come into the NCAA tournament with no injuries, nobody has overloaded their work capacity, and every single player is incredibly fresh. Mm. 
They've been tested earlier in the season, and they've been able to stay healthy. They've played the majority of their season, and if they're blowing teams out by 25, that means the starters are remarkably fresh leading into the most physically and emotionally and mentally exhausting season we have ever seen in the history of college basketball. I mean, if you want you the most talented team in the country to be the freshest team in the country, why are you complaining about <laughs> playing in the West Coast Conference? <laughs> to me, to me, I, I see it as a massive advantage for Gonzaga, and, it's one of the, and it, it is one of the reasons why I'm, I am picking them to win it all. Okay, well, let's look at uh, this. is a very intriguing storyline that uh, that I uh, find interesting. You know, Rick Pitino is back in the NCAA tournament, so he takes his fifth team into the big dance. Obviously, Rick Pitino is a great coach. It's just too bad he's got all this extracurricular baggage that goes along with it. Yeah, well, there's there, there's uh, uh, there's a lot of extracurricular baggage that goes along with it. <laughs> Um, uh, Rick, it's, you know, uh, I, I, I think that coach Patino will probably use this as a springboard into some jobs that are opening up. Uh, for instance, the Paul, uh, just fired Dave Lato, um, uh, a couple hours ago and, uh, the Paul uh, will be looking for a head coach. Um, I think it would be, uh, remarkable to see if Indiana even thinks about, hiring uh, Rick Pitino because they just fired Archie Miller today. Um, and there's going to be other jobs, a bunch of other jobs. I mean, uh, uh, Rick Pitino's son, Richard Pitino, just got released from his contract at Minnesota. Uh, does Rick Pitino take the job at Minnesota? <laughs> and there's going to be other there's going to be other jobs that open up as well. So I don't see Rick Pitino, uh, you know, staying at Iona for 10 years. Patino is a coach that is going to coach until he just can't breathe anymore. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why Jim Calhoun is coaching a Division Three team right now is because that's just that is what they know, that is what they do, and it, when they're not doing it, they, you know, there's a huge empty void. And um, I think Iona has a good team. Uh, I don't see them winning uh, their first round matchup. But they certainly have a good team. They're playing Alabama in the first round, and Alabama is—I've got them—I've got them picked to go to the final four. Alabama is just exceptional. Um, but uh, there's no question that Rick Pitino is a phenomenal coach. Uh, I don't know if I can sit here and say that Rick Pitino is the right leader that I would want my son to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do not doubt his coaching pedigree and acumen as it is hall of fame worthy and it is one of the all-time great coaches and then you kind of touched upon it earlier thinking that michigan state probably should not have been in but they are going to play ucla in the first four that's a pretty good uh, uh marquee to put on the board for uh, for a first four game yeah and and i think again ucla is is not as physical as michigan state is and i've got michigan state winning that game and i think you know, Michigan State uh, would then play BYU, who is also a, a more of a finesse team. So, you know, so much of the NCAA tournament is is a you know about getting hot at the right time, but also but also matchups. And to me, Michigan State is a more physical team than UCLA, 
which is one of the reasons why I'm picking them in the first four. And I also think that they are way more physical than BYU, way more physical. And I think they can absolutely dominate the paint against BYU is a little bit more finesse and perimeter-oriented, and I could see Michigan State advancing to the second round, and that's that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and of course, Tom Izzo is certainly a great tournament coach, uh, and that factors in quite a bit as well. Um, let's turn a little bit to the American Athletic Conference. So you, since you call, call a lot of UCF games, you definitely are in tune with the AAC. It ends up being a two-bid league. Houston, of course, has been the class of the AAC now for the last several years. Wichita State gets in, and what's what's nice about Wichita State getting in is it looks like their regular season uh, championship meant something. It absolutely did, um, uh, because their net was not as good as Memphis's or their RPI or their Ken Palm rating. Uh, so winning the conference championship really mattered. I think their quad one wins, their quad one uh, win record also mattered as well, as Memphis really didn't have that marquee win or wins inside of quad one. And, and, and Wichita State, they're, they're playing Drake, who went on a tear in the regular season, looked like they were going to go undefeated, and, and Drake barely got in as an at-large bid, at-large team. Um, but I think Wichita State wins that game. I think Tyson Etienne is the type of player who uh, we are all going to enjoy and the average fan is going to enjoy watching him in Subway Turner because he absolutely is a guy who can give you 25-30. Um, he's a three-level scoring guard in that he can uh, – he's a very proficient three-point shooter, especially coming off the pick-and-roll. He has a mid-range and floater game. And he's got this big, strong body as a sophomore. He's one of the best finishing guards in the American – and I've got them beating Drake. Uh, they would face USC. Um, uh, that That's going to be a difficult matchup because you give the edge perimeter-wise to Wichita State. I think Wichita State's guards, Altery, Gilbert, Tyson, Etienne, are better than USC's guards. But then uh, Wichita State's front court is going to have a lot of trouble guarding Evan Mobley, who, if he's not the first pick in the draft, which that will probably go to Oklahoma State's Kate Cunningham, It'll most likely go to Evan Mobley. It'll be the second pick of the draft. He is a seven-footer who is tailor-made for the NBA, a future all-star in the NBA. And it's going to be difficult to slow him down. But I, I'm, I am picking the Shockers to advance to the second round in a matchup with Kansas, which would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that would be a sweet uh, matchup for sure. And Houston, of course, is like I said, they're they're they finally got their conference tournament championship uh, to, to add to their trophy case, and they've been often talked about as being a potential Final Four team. How far do you see them going? I am so sad for Houston because they got stuck in the Midwest region with Illinois, who I think is the second best team in the country. They what they did in the Big Ten tournament is remarkable. They are. Um, to me, it's Gonzaga, Illinois, and then everybody else. And if Houston was in uh, the south bracket with Baylor, or if Houston was in the east bracket with Michigan, not to take anything away from Baylor or Michigan, Baylor was the second best team in the country for a long time. I think there are, I think we are starting to see some flaws in the Baylor Bears, but I see no flaws in Illinois right now. And Houston got stuck. As a, I know, I guess. It's the only time you're unhappy about getting a two seed is when you're stuck with maybe the hottest team in the country in Illinois. 
Um, but I, I have them going to the Elite Eight. They have um, uh, the third best adjusted defensive defensive efficiency for Ken Palm. Uh, they are one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They are one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. They have the best man-to-man defense in the country. And I would say, I don't know if there's a team that plays harder in the country than Houston. They aren't as uh, mediocre offensively as people as people think they are. They just don't play as rhythmic as other uh, teams do. Um, they are the best three-point shooting team in the American Conference, and they don't turn the ball over. Uh, they are also a very, very unselfish and, and, and very high, highly gifted passing team. And uh, just because they don't score in the 80s and 90s, doesn't mean they're not efficient on the offensive end. They score in the mid seventies, so I, I mean, uh, Houston would—they're—they're uh, they're going to beat their first-round matchup, Cleveland State, and they would face either Clemson or Rutgers. I think that's going to be Rutgers. They would advance for, in that matchup, and then I, I think in the Sweet Sixteen, you could see potentially maybe the most physical game of the entire tournament of a matchup of Houston versus West Virginia. Um, who is just, you know, anytime you face West Virginia, it's a combination of running into a big brick wall and trying to ward off a thousand stinging bees. <laughs> it's exhausting to compete against that press. And uh, But I, I still like Houston advance. I think Houston gets the Elite Eight. I just, you know, I'll be rooting for Houston because I'm a big fan of their program, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get past Illinois in the Elite Eight. And Houston had to uh, pull out two victories over Memphis in the last week. Uh, you know, have been playing incredibly well. Yes, and uh, you know, I in fact, I, can, I think I could watch Houston and Memphis play every week. Uh, the way they they match up against each other, uh, Memphis coming up short of you know they had to win the conference tournament, I guess, to, in order to get in. Uh, but uh, talk about the job Penny Hardaway is doing there. You know, a lot of people were questioning Coach Hardaway um, uh, earlier in the season. Uh, you know, and 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 I didn't question him. I think I think Penny has done a phenomenal job. I do think that in the first ten games of the season, they did underperform. I don't think they knew who they were. I think they were trying to play a brand of basketball that was a little bit more NBA style. And about halfway through the season, uh, something changed, and they all of a sudden started really owning their defense particularly in the press. And I mean, Jeff, you mentioned, I mean, you saw Memphis in that press. It is, it is incredible, incredible. And this is going to sound very, maybe a little cliche, very, very obvious, but the Memphis coaching staff is sick right now because they missed 10 free throws at Houston Mm -hmm. and they missed 12 free throws um, in, in, in their previous matchup. Uh, they are, they shot 53% from the free throw line on the season. And I was actually talking with uh, one of the Memphis assistant coaches last night. And in their losses, they missed a combined 66 free throws. They were 80, they, uh, they were 84 of 150 from the free throw line. And their average margin of loss was four points. Oh, man. So if they would have shot just 10% better, so they shot 56% from the free throw line, if they would have shot 66% from the free throw line, that's it, 10% better, they would have only analytically had three losses on the season, which probably would have put them in the top 15 in the country. 
And you want to talk about going back and looking about all the, you know, the frustrating things and you think about the, the boring little stuff, you know, when you, when you realize how, uh, when you realize there are no little things and there is no boring stuff, uh, all the boring and little stuff matters a hell, a hell of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Memphis, Memphis's net was, was better than SMU's, was better than Wichita State's. They just lacked marquee wins. And they did not perform in the non-conference well at all. And it took them about half a season to figure out who they were. And then they did. And all of a sudden we saw that every, every, every media coach in the country was watching that game, Memphis and Houston, and saying, are you kidding me? This Memphis team looks like a Sweet 16 team. They just didn't have their resume to back it up. Yeah, I tell you what, and that's uh, some great math nuggets you gave us there, too. Um, and one thing I took from the conference tournament is I look at the American, and I think you can safely say the top half of the conference is very good. I would include UCF in that uh, in that as well. Um, what is your overall uh, grade for the American uh, for this past season? Well, before I kind of do an overall grade, uh, Jeff, one thing I will mention is uh, the bottom three teams for the American had a better net than the bottom three teams of the Pac-12 and the bottom three teams of the Big 12. Mm. So I know you're talking about the top half performed really well, but I would argue that um, the top half has not been as good from a non-conference win perspective this season as it has been in season past. But the bottom half of the American has been far superior than the previous years. Um, and there were times in which the American Conference kind of cannibalized itself, similar to what the Atlantic 10 actually did to themselves this season, because I think a lot of people felt the Atlantic 10 could have had three or four teams in the tournament if it had not cannibalized itself. Um, the American, you know, I would give the American a B plus. Uh, it, it was, it, you could make an argument the American tournament was one of the best tournaments that we saw. Totally. Tournament because of how how high level of basketball we witnessed. It was awesome. It was great. Uh, what the American needs to do is this. Is, is Houston, the Houston train is rolling and that ain't stopping. Right? They may not be, you know, top five in the country next season, but they're, you know, they're going to be at worst top 25 the entire season. Wichita State, if Tyson Etienne comes back, Wichita State isn't going anywhere. Isaac Brown is a great coach. He just got the head, he just got the full-time job and, and, and I think everybody was ecstatic when that happened. That was the right move to make at Wichita State. They're not going anywhere. Uh, Memphis they shouldn't have, they might have one player that turns pro, Musa Cisse. He's going to probably turn pro, and that's it. And they're going to bring in some good recruits. And this, this, this entire Memphis team is going to be back. And guess what? They're not going to make the same mistake again. They're going to press for 40 minutes again. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be brutal, brutal to play against the Tigers. SMU returns a bulk of their lineup as well. Kendrick Davis might be in running for preseason player of the year next season, along with Tyson Etienne. So, uh, and SMU's, SMU had a top 60 net the entire season. They just didn't have enough marquee wins. And so when you're, when you're looking at, when you're looking at the American conference, you know, I would give it a B plus what the American conference needs to do is they, it can't just be Houston in the top 10 and then four, team, four fringe top 25 teams. And the way that changes is that 
in SMU, Wichita State, Memphis, those three teams right now need to have marquee wins in the non-conference and no bad losses leading into the conference tournament. Until the American has three to four teams consistently in the top 25, which I think they can, you know, that's when the, that's when the conversation changes. Because to me, the American Conference from top to bottom is better than the Pac-12. I, I, I will happily go net to net with anybody <laughs> and non-conference wins uh, and, and analytically. And I think it's a better conference than the Pac-12. I do, yeah. especially if you take the last three years. Yeah. And now... Yeah. The, fresh, the, the thing that other the other thing that needs to happen is is it is a program like UCF. UCF cannot beat Florida State, Auburn, and Cincinnati out of the gate, and then lose seven eight games in a row. Right. It just it, it, it cannot happen. That, that that it can't be. You can't have. You know. I guess the best way to describe you can't have fluke non conference wins. Those can't exist anymore for the American Conference. It has to be the American Conference is the conference of grit and defense. When you look at the American Conference, you took the top 30 um, adjusted defensive efficiency teams in the country. There's going to be at least four or five American Conference teams in there. Always, every single season, it is not a uh, it is not a brand of basketball that is always going to be uh, appeasing to the eye, but it is, they are some of the best defenses you and most physical defenses you will face in the country, regardless of conference. Yeah. And you, of course, you know, Cincinnati's in that conversation um, and kind of want to go back to Wichita state for just a quick second. As you mentioned, Isaac Brown getting the, the, the head coaching job full time, the Greg Marshall situation really could have been a, a huge blow to them uh, coming into this season. Uh, can you relate to you know what Isaac Brown did to 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 weather that storm? You know, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to answer that question until a couple of years. But if I had to make a guess, you know, my best guess would be this is one of the few times to where <laughs> playing college basketball in a global pandemic could be to your advantage. And what I mean by that is, I mean you want to talk about having no distractions, right? You have to isolate in your room. You're not allowed to leave your dorm room until you go to practice. You're not going to class. Everything's online. You are in your dorm. You're at practice. You're in your dorm. You're at practice. And that eliminates a lot of distractions, a lot of distractions. So this was a time to where if you're talking about bringing in an interim coach with, uh, you know, a very difficult situation just mentally and emotionally for the players, and you're able to totally focus on only one thing, and that only thing isn't even about winning games, Jeff. That only thing is about finding practice time. Mm. Because there, there were times where programs just couldn't even practice because guys would test negative or there was contact tracing issues and it would take out seven or eight guys and you'd have to shut down for two weeks. You didn't even, I mean, most teams didn't even focus on winning games. Most teams focused on just getting on the practice court. And Wichita State was one of those teams that they could just get on the practice court every day and focus on that. They were going to be able to find their identity 
and they did. They, they found their identity. They found their identity through offense and pushing pace and tempo. And they did that as well, if not better, than any team in the American Conference with Tyson Etienne and Altari Gilbert. And I, I think... And um, and and this is, by the way, it's not. I'm not pulling credit away from Isaac Brown. Not to say that he couldn't have done this if it was under normal circumstances. I just think it really helped him in that if you're totally laser focused on the basics, because that's all you can be. You don't have a, you don't have screaming fans. You're not you're not you're not walking into into a restaurant and having people come up to you and asking you about the Greg Marshall situation. You're not walking into class and having students ask you about the Greg Marshall situation. You know, basketball, college basketball at Wichita State's a religion. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have any of these, these, these massive distractions. You were able to put on the horse blinders and go to work. I just think that really helped Isaac Brown. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Um, so looking uh, back at the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, already with uh, Georgetown as a 12-5 upset, and those are popular upset picks. Winthrop Villanova getting a lot of run as one of those. Winthrop 23-1, and and I guess the question is, how compromised is Villanova with the uh, Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore injuries? Uh, hugely compromised, particularly Colin Gillespie, who was up, uh, you know, um, uh, he... He is the heart, the soul, and the engine of that team. And, and every Big East coach um, would tell you that uh, playing against Colin Gillespie has been one of the most exhausting scouting reports that any team has tried to put together because he just doesn't make mistakes. He is a knockdown three-point shooter. And it just it, he is the extension of Jay Wright. And it's, and it's a huge blow. And uh, even so, the matchup, the 12-5 matchup, uh, would be a little dicey for Villanova. But I think they're extremely exposed um, with Colin Gillespie out. And also has a lot to do with Winthrop. Um, Winthrop is a team that is such a good man-to-man team. Uh, Jeff, I'm telling you, they are, have such a great man-to-man defense. It, it is remarkably connected very physical, really fast, super athletic. And on offense, they run a four-out, one-in offense. Um, and they've got a lot of interchangeable piece, pieces and a lot of positionless players on offense. And I, I've got Winthrop advancing, um, playing Purdue. I, In fact, I actually think when, uh, um, uh, Winthrop could beat a team like Purdue and get to the Sweet 16. They are absolutely a Sweet 16 Cinderella-type team. So Winthrop could be a potential Cinderella. Any other potential Cinderellas you see on the horizon? Yeah. Um, uh, so we're, I did mention Georgetown. I don't think Georgetown gets to the Sweet 16. I'll tell you this, though. Uh, it's been talked about a lot, and I'm hesitant to keep talking about it because I think too many people are talking about it. But... Um, and not enough people have actually watched them play. But the Ohio Bobcats are a very good basketball team. I mean, very, very good. Jeff Bowles is their head coach, who's a Thad Mata disciple. We're probably going to get a lot of looks at some high major jobs. Um, Ohio's offense is ball screen heavy, and the or, uh, um, 
uh, the maestro of that ball screen is a player named Jason Preston, who um, had 21.6 rebounds, five assists, and five steals in the in the MAC championship game. And he it was a player who burst onto the scene. He's an Orlando kid, Jeff. Actually, mm-hmm. um, uh, he's a player that burst on the scene. We scored thirty against Illinois. He's an NBA prospect. He's about a six four, six five point guard, and he is a guy that absolutely can win games on his own. And he's a guy that's very difficult to scout against. They're, they can beat Virginia. I have Ohio beating Virginia. Now they're going to run up against Creighton, who is really, really good offensively, but has looked a little bit shaky in the last four or five games. And Ohio advancing to Sweet 16 is very, very doable. Ohio obviously has Jason Preston, who's an NBA prospect. They have a backup point guard, Mark Sears, um, uh, who is up for freshman of the year in the MAC. Uh, uh, they have, they have um, uh, one of the best glue guys in the country in Ben Vanderplas, who can give you a double-double any any night, and a double-double whether it's 10 points, 10 rebounds, or 10 points and 10 assists. Um, uh, he's he's kind of like a point forward, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and I think Ben Vanderplas is really good. And um, that Ohio offense is efficient, it's tricky, and uh, they have enough defense to kind of squeak by. I think, I think Virginia's going to have a hard time uh, with Ohio. That is... That is actually the first-round matchup that I'm most excited to watch because of how good Virginia's defense is and how great Ohio's offense is and how great Jason Preston is. I think that's a awesome first-round matchup, that 13-4 matchup of Ohio versus Virginia. And before I get your uh, picks on the Final Four, uh, I want to take you back a little bit, um, you know, back to 2004. You, you, of course, you played your freshman oh. season at NC State. Uh, before transferring to UCF, uh, the Wolfpack are a number three seed in the tournament. Julius Hodge is a uh, your star player. Uh, can you take me back to that feeling of playing in March Madness? I mean, I, I got to cover UCF in '94 when they made their first trip ever, and sit on the sideline when they were playing Purdue and Glenn Robinson. And I was about to come out of my skin just as a fan. What's it like for a player to play on the big stage of March Madness? Well, I think everybody will have a different perspective on that. Uh, mine is a little bit uh, geek nerdy uh, <laughs> in that um, I have been cutting out uh, March Madness brackets from the newspaper since uh, fifth grade when I fell in love with college basketball. So I have been doing this since fifth grade. And when I tell you uh, this is going to sound absurd, Jeff, and you're welcome to laugh and say it's ridiculous, but like I still remember the smell of me fi- cutting out the bracket of the newspaper of the St. Petersburg Times as a kid and filling out my bracket, first with pencil and then with pen, and I re- just remember the smell of doing that. And the craziest thing for me when we got when we got to the um, arena, and it was actually we played our first two games in Orlando at the at the, at the old uh, old Amway Center, mm-hmm. and um, uh, <laughs> I walk in. We walk in for a shoot around, and it was our first time in the arena. We pull up. We've got the police escort, and 
I stepped in the arena and I swear to you, it smelled exactly like I was filling out my bracket. I can't explain <laughs> why or how, but as soon as I stepped foot into the concourse, I was like, I, I had the exact same uh, smell of filling out a bracket. It was bizarre. It totally took me back. And it was a, a bit of an existential moment for me. It was just, I am walking on a bracket right now. <laughs> I am in someone's bracket. And it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, the other really cool thing, Jeff, was, it was we were about top 15 all season that, se- uh, that, 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 that season. And um, we were the last, uh, um, us and Louisiana Lafayette, we were the last two teams announced on Selection Sunday. <laughs> and we're all sitting there like, are we not getting in? This is It, it was weird. We were, everybody was like sweating. We, we were the very last two teams announced for some reason the way the bracket was picked back then and announced on Selection Sunday. And everybody was like, man, are we not getting in? We beat Duke when they were number one. We were... I, I, you know, we were like 14th in the country. Like we got it. It, it was, it was really funny that there was even second guessing that we were, we were not going to get in, but we all knew we were going to get in. But even then you're, you're, you got a little bit of back sweat, you know, and until, until you hear your name called, when you hear your name called, it's, um, it, it really is, um, you are, uh, you are a fabric of everybody's college basketball season at that time and uh it's hard to think about it when you're in it um but then when you get out of it it's there's there's not much that can compare to that yeah well i tell you what you and i have one thing i mean i still print out a bracket and i still fill it out all the way through, <laughs> yeah. Just just because it takes me back, you know. It just oh, it, you got to do it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, yeah. I, I'm disappointed in myself that uh, I couldn't find a newspaper this year. Um, <laughs> I, I actually love to still find a newspaper and cut it out. Of like, usually you find you find a USA Today in a hotel, and uh, I couldn't find one. Um, uh, and I'm a little bit a little bit disappointed in myself that I couldn't find one and you know grab the scissors, cut it out, and and then fill up the bracket. But yeah, I've got my bracket all filled out, ready to go. All right. Well, you kind of gave us a spoiler alert earlier about who your champion is, but uh, uh, let's hear your picks for the final four. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got Gonzaga coming out of the West region, uh, Illinois coming out of the Midwest, uh, Baylor coming out of the South, and I've got Alabama coming out of the East. Okay. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, that the, the Elite Eight matchups are going to be exceptional. Uh, I think we'll see, a, uh, we'll see a rematch of Gonzaga and Iowa in the Elite Eight. And I think FSU has the ability to make it to the Elite Eight versus Alabama. Alabama's is probably the most underappreciated two-seed in, in the country, maybe of all time. They are so good. And I think uh, uh, good enough to make it to the Final Four. So it's a little bit chalky, Jeff. You know, I've got uh, I've got three number one seeds in the Final Four. Uh, I could easily see uh, Ohio State potentially make it to the Final Four as a two seed. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, or, or maybe even Arkansas as a three seed. But I think Gonzaga, Baylor, Alabama, and Illinois are are locks for me. And I, I like uh, Gonzaga. In Illinois, in the national championship game, I think that would be just 
just a delight for us uh, college basketball fans. Yeah, that definitely look, looks like it would be a tasty matchup for sure. So Mike O'Donnell, you can follow him on Twitter at MOD43. That's the number four, and you spell out three. And uh, Mike, so thank you so much for being here and appreciate all the work you do uh, throughout the year with uh, CBS and ESPN. And uh, we're certainly glad you were able to lend your expertise to our show. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, certainly the best time of the year, and I can't wait for the games to get going this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks again. Rob. And we'll be right back to close out with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here, virus or no virus. Couldn't help it with March Madness. Had to play the real first version of this particular CBS NCAA basketball theme that they started using in the 1992-93 season and uh, ran that through about 2004. And the one from 2004 is the one you uh, hear quite a bit today uh, during CBS's coverage. And then, of course, there's a third version or iteration of this, I should say, that runs when uh, March Madness starts, when CBS does the conference tournaments, and then when Turner joins them for uh, the NCAA tournament, uh, they play that version that has now become synonymous. But this very first version of that is, again, this is not their original theme music. CBS started carrying the NCAAs in 1982 or in 1981, somewhere in that time frame. But uh, this one, to me, is still the best iteration of that theme because it's so it has so much pump and pep to it uh wish they'd bring that one back but uh and and to tell you how good it is you know i can remember a time you know the school's bands would be playing this at the gymnasiums and basketball arenas around the country it was this and it was uh the espn sports center theme that uh, school bands would play and uh, I don't think I've heard <laughs> it played since uh, they switched from this version. Uh, again, not to knock the second version, which is still effective today, and the third version. Uh, but to me, this one is still truly the best uh, iteration of that. I've worked iteration how many times now? <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Mike O'Donnell from 
CBS Sports and ESPN for doing us a solid with a great breakdown of the NCAA basketball tournament. And with that, we are done here.